You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Strange Familiars, Allison. Yes. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. Good to hear. Tonight I'm going to be talking with Ken. Got some Bigfoot stories. Ken's been on the show before. He's actually the fellow who showed Chad and I Harry Spring. Chad had already hiked one of the trails that, that went through there, but he did, kind of didn't know he was in that place until Ken took us there. And then he was like, oh, this is, I've been here before. Is it Harry? Like It's H-A-I-R-Y, and we cannot figure out why it's called that. I've been looking everywhere for why is it called Harry Springs. Yeah, that is odd. Yeah. It's because of the Bigfoot, obviously. Harry stuff. Because the Bigfoot's there. Yeah, right? In any case, we talk a little bit about Harry Springs. We talk more about some of these more recent encounters Ken has had, including a Bigfoot that does the predator thing, the uh, predator cloaking thing that people talk about, and a pretty interesting encounter when he was doing a bat survey down at Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. Wow. Yeah, interesting stuff. So we'll get to Ken in a moment. First, I want to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. Thank you for your support. I mean this quite literally. We couldn't do Strange Familiars without your help. So your help means the world to us. If you like what we do and you'd like to get extra content besides, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. All of our patrons get commercial-free versions of the weekly show, as well as extra episodes every month. Again, if you want to help out, you can become a patron via Patreon, patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Or if you're on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe there as well. I will be in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, September 16th, for an event at Jeremiah Crow's House of Oddities, in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. It's 6 North Market Street. Thank you. I will be signing and selling books, and I'll have some art prints there and more. So if you want to stop by and see me and get some books and check out the oddity shop there, he's got some neat stuff. Yeah, he has. Um, we talked about it in an episode probably seven, eight years ago, so I'm not expecting anybody to remember. But I don't think it's been that long, but, but it's the unzi. Yeah, unzi the... Uh, the wonder. The, the, the hirsute wonder. Yes, 
Yeah, yeah. He looks he, like we, a man with a very large white afro is what it looks like. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy with albinism, but he was one of your uh, circus guys that you liked. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. And he's got a model or a mannequin sort of made to look like Unzi there. Yeah, which I th- which has, I, I believe, a, a pretty uh, interesting history in its own right, because I've seen it at least at least one, if not two other oddity shops over the years. So yeah, yeah. I love the, how things get passed along in that community. Yeah, there used to be the American Dime Museum in Baltimore, which I actually played music at before. And some of those items ended up in a dime museum in Gettysburg for a while. And some of the dime museum items from Gettysburg ended up with Jeremiah Crow. So that should be a fun event. There's other stuff going on. It's not just me. He's got some other people, and I forget who they are. So I apologize. I'll try to have the details on that next week. But again, that's September 16th in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania. If you can come out, I'd love to see you. All right, let's go ahead and hear my talk with Ken. I'd like to welcome Ken back to Strange Familiars. How you doing, Ken? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Now, listeners, it's been a long time, but Ken is actually the guy that first took Chad and I to Harry Strings. And we had a whole saga there with you and then after you with a few visits. And one of the things we never got to talk about, but before we get into your newer stories, is that footprint you found there. Yeah. So you sent me a photo of that. It was a pretty clear footprint. And the interesting thing was, I'm not sure the name of that trail, but that's a We've had weird stuff down that trail, for sure. Yeah, there's a few of them that run through there. It might have been Furnace Hollow, if I'm not mistaken. But this was like the side trail that runs down to that kind of... The trail itself like becomes a spring, like halfway down, right? Am I, think, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, so the spot where we were standing and talking when Chad was kind of wandering off a little bit and uh, we had whatever it was kind of charge him... Mm-hmm. If you follow that trail and you keep going, it'll take you across the creek and then up towards the ridge above that. So trail as I was coming down towards the creek, that's where I found it. Okay. So across from like that, where you can park at the end of the, the one trail. Yeah. Okay. It's on the other. Okay. So it's not the exact same trail. I was thinking, okay. All right. It's on that other side there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So when we first started, we were standing on the one side mm-hmm. and then yeah. we crossing and hiking up yes so it was that first side that we were on up towards the ridge on that side okay see i've never hiked much back there yeah it's a nice trail now there is a part where there are areas where it does kind of get squishy as you walk up through there just because of the nature how the trail and the spring combine with each other at some mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. yeah there's another trail like that about a quarter way up the mountain on the other side there's a trail that drops down and that's the one yeah. i i thought initially that uh, where you found the footprint because we had okay. found a whole collection it was really weird of um, slag from the old furnace that someone had made like set out into spirals and like all these crazy patterns and stuff whoever it was took a long time to do it it was really neat and uh, came back several times and it was never there again huh it's pretty long yeah yeah and we've been picking up the thing well we've been picking up um, slag all day that day yeah. I don't know if you heard the uh, the whole saga with Chad's knife there. I 
what I have actually. Okay. So we were there one day hiking around. It might have been the same day we found that slag, and mm-hmm. someone had given Chad a handmade knife, and he was yeah. wearing it on his side. And we were going through the brush and everything, and we come out of there, and I think we walked up the big pond furnace, or we we drove up or something. I forget. Whatever it was, I looked down at some point. I said, hey, Chad, your knife's not in the sheath. And he, oh, no, it's a handmade knife. we got to go back and look for it. So yeah. we go back, retracing our steps, and we went up and down that mountain. And we're looking everywhere we were. And we're coming off this one side trail. And he says out loud, I'd like my knife back, please. And about a minute later or less, right in the middle of the trail, this red hand, he had red paracord on it. There's no way we would have missed it because we were looking. Yeah. Right there in the middle of the trail. It's laying perfectly parallel to the trail or oh, perpendicular, wow. I think. Right perpendicular, perfectly, like 90 degree angle was his knife yeah. just sitting there. And we looked at each other like, what the heck is going on? I'll bet. Yeah, it was wild. I've had some weird stuff happen to me up in there since the last time that we went up there, when I went up there with you and Chad. Yeah, I know. I uh, thought you told me you heard that the sort of uh, those gorilla sounds we were hearing that night again. Yeah, actually, the most recent that that happened was uh, last deer season. So I went down to the spot where I normally get into when I'm hunting in that area. And I guess it was probably about nine o'clock in the morning or so. I mean, it was daylight at this point. Yeah, I heard the it was like a whooping noise coming from, I'd say, no more than 50 yards away from me, a little bit further down the ridge. And yeah, it would happen every five minutes or so, every five to 10 minutes, I'd say. Hmm. And yeah, again, you listen to the Sierra sounds and it's so similar. And I've gotten to a point now, I'm just kind of used to it. Mm-hmm. But I was even texting my wife like, hey, this is happening just in case, you know, something happens at my normal spot and just wanted to make you aware of this. It's like, I don't think it's going to be a problem. It's not really giving me like a creepy vibe. It's more like I just I felt like I hadn't been there in a little while because we moved out of that area and more towards Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. So I don't really get down there as often as I used to, but it was a familiarity. Like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, you again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was pretty wild. So, and, you know, I hung around for a couple more hours after that. You know, I had plans to get back up, you know, home and do a couple other things that afternoon yet. But I did notice uh, compared to the last time I had hunted there, considerably less sign of deer. Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't nearly as much deer droppings. And I can't say that I saw anything when I was in that area hunting. And it's almost like uh, whatever deer were around were kind of staying out of that area, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it can be a weird. Now, we've visited sometimes where it's just like, oh, it doesn't feel like anything's going on. You know, it feels pretty normal. But sometimes, yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. It's like a roll of the dice with that place. It's yeah. definitely a place that, uh, I mean, Michelle in general, but that, that was one of the places in particular. People want to go check something out that's that's a place to check i think yeah and now i i know that some people don't really ascribe to the woo stuff but i mean if you want to hear it i haven't really told a whole lot of people about this one but there was an experience that i would definitely put on the woo side that i had before i moved out of the shippensburg area i mean if you want me to talk about it i'm willing to yeah please okay so I went out to cut wood one day and 
after a while, you just get a sense for them. Mm-hmm. Like if that feeling like you're being watched, you just kind of know when they're around. Well, it definitely felt like there was something around me that day. And I loaded up on my wood, I brought it, didn't think anything of it. Didn't really have any kind of experience other than just kind of feeling being watched. So I get home, sitting at my house later that night and I was trying to figure out where we connect to them, like what that relation is. Mm-hmm. And it kind of dawned on me that like the epiphany that I had, maybe it wasn't like a branch. Maybe we are a branch of them to some degree or other. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it was a weird, like, Oh, maybe this would help explain our connection to them. So I don't think anything more of it. I go outside I take my dog out with me and within a couple moments of being outside, I heard it was uh, my neighbor's house across the road from me. They had a big metal barn where they kept their animals and it sounded like something slapped the side of that barn, like slapped it hard. Mm-hmm. And this was probably 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. So it was relatively late. And then my dog reacted to that sound and I noticed that she really started bristling up and just getting anxious and she's a Norwegian outcound mix. So she is bred to hunt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when something sets her off, I can tell. And that's when I saw something run in front of my neighbor's house. Like my neighbor's house is probably about 40 yards away. Not the one with the metal barn, but, kind of across the directly across the road from that property. Mm-hmm. So whatever it was came running up across the road. And we talk a lot about the, uh, predator type looking thing where yeah. see something there, but you can also see through it. Well, I could see it run past my one neighbor's house and see the window through it wow. to the neighbor's wow. house. So I saw this thing. It was big again, probably seven, eight feet tall. I was in a state of shock because I was like, I'd never seen anything like this before. And it ran all the length of that house and went up into the wood line right behind their house, which was probably 20 yards from the edge of the house there and started hearing wood knocking. Hmm. So my dog starts really getting agitated at this point, like gruffing and pulling at the leash and like trying to get to that area. And then I hear in the gravel next to that. So, if you come down from the wood line towards my house, you come through like a gravel parking lot area. So I hear in the gravel and I start hearing this one low whistling tone coming from a dumpster that was by a building in that area where that parking lot is. Like there's a business there and there was a dumpster in the parking lot of that business. And I hear this whistling tone at this point, my dog is going nuts. And it's, it's everything I can do to hold on to her and to keep her calm. And then I hear that running noise coming even closer to me. And it got as close as right on the other side of the wood pile, which was about 20, 25 feet away from me. Wow. And I'm still doing that one single whistling tone. At this point, I said, okay, you know what? I'm done. I'm going in. I don't want to be around this anymore. It's starting to freak me out. So I go into the house my wife inside the house heard the commotion the whole time and asked me what was happening. And obviously I couldn't really fully explain what it was. I just tried to explain to her what had happened. And she actually asked if I wanted me to, if I wanted her to call the police. And I said, no, I don't think I want to get the police involved in this. Uh, 
that's not really something I want to try to explain to a police officer. Like, oh, yeah, I think I just saw a cloaking Bigfoot <laughs> run past my neighbor's house and start whistling at me. It's not really something you want to be having the cops come out at 12 o'clock at night and having lights on and all your neighbors are like, what's going on over there? You know, that sort of stuff. And I was like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. So about 15, 20 minutes later, I worked up the nerve. I said, I got to go back out. I got to just kind of scope things out. And the craziest thing of it all was as soon as I walked out, there was a big piece of bark, probably about 12 inches, 14 inches long, like a decent sized piece of bark wet because it was stuff that I just cut that day. It was placed right in front of my front door. Hmm. So I literally would have had to walk it over, sit it down and walk in to leave it there. I wasn't taking any wood into my, you know, I wasn't putting any wood in the fire at that point. It was all just stuff that I was stalking away. And I think that happened towards the end of August, beginning of September of that year. So I wasn't even running my wood stove yet. I was just getting stuff stocked away. So it kind of took a lesson from that. Like before I take wood from the forest, I now ask. <laughs> I, start, I started asking. Yeah, just like, hey, this is for my home. Mm -hmm. I'm just heating my home with this. Hope you don't mind. I'm going to take this with me and, you know. I I'm so when I'm going to pee in the woods and apologize afterwards. It's folklore, but <laughs> it can save I, some I'm headaches so in the end. I've started doing that myself as well. Yeah. I've started doing that too. Yeah. You know, hey, if you can cut something off and, and not have the trouble, why not? So yeah. when you saw this thing sort of doing the predator thing, could you see like a silhouette outline of a body? Yeah. Yeah. It was very distinct outline, like almost like the very edge of it had definition, but everything in between was just constantly moving or flowing mm -hmm. and like allowing what was on the other side to shine through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you could see it actually like step, step, step as it. But it was moving so fast, too. That was the other aspect. Ah. It was way faster than a normal human could run. Interesting. Like, yeah, I would say that house was probably about from the first corner that it would have passed to the second corner. The house is probably about 60 feet long, 50, 60 feet long. And it covered it in a matter of a second, mm -hmm. if that. Yeah. It was just like a flash running past it so quickly. Wow. Yeah, and the amount of time it took me to realize what I was seeing, it was already past the house. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty that's intense. That's people often ask me about Hey, would you set up a gifting area outside your house? Like, not a chance. I don't want it around my house. Any of this stuff. It can, it exactly. Can, yeah, I got to sleep. Yeah. Well, there was another time I went with a friend hiking up on uh, the Appalachian Trail, and we went off onto uh, Rocky Knob Trail and had my dog. He had his dog, and I actually even had my son with me there. And we had some weird stuff happen up there as well. When we were sitting around the campfire, something rushed our camp from one side of the forest, the one ridge, and it was big, it was heavy, and it could have been a bear, but the dogs definitely took notice of it. They started barking at it and growling and all that, and I thought, well, maybe that's just a bear. They scared them off. Like I said, the elk hounds, they're bred to hunt bears, so that's part of the reason I got her to go up into Misho and be in areas where there are bears. So about... 15 minutes later, after that had passed over and we're like, okay, you know, I'm not thinking about that anymore. It happened again, but from the opposite direction mm. and just as heavy, just as loud. <laughs> and again, the dogs started barking, hackles went up, all that stuff. But then we didn't have any other issues out there that night. However, 
The next day I got back and I went around back in my house there where I was living at that time. And I had had, it was one of those big metal shelving units. I had that set up back there and the thing was turned upside down and jammed into the rain gutter in the back. Wow. Yeah. So my wife and daughter were home alone because I had my son with me. So I asked her, like, hey, did you hear a bang last night? And she goes, I didn't hear anything. I said, well, someone jammed this shelving unit into our rain gutter. And it was about four, you know, about four feet up that it did it. Wow. And, yeah, like, it just it stuck it right in. And, like, kind of got stuck because the way that it was back there was, like, a, a short ridge. I mean, you had about three feet or so, and it dropped down. So you had to like climb up this to go out the back way like that. Well, that's where it was. So it was kind of jammed against the ground and then a certain height up on this rain gutter because of where it dropped down. So I said, huh, that's really weird. And uh, the guy that owned the business there was actually my landlord at the time. So I went over the next day when he was open and I said, hey, do you mind running the video surveillance? I told him, I think someone, you know, is trying to steal metal from me and they got spooked and dropped it, which that is a possibility. Mm -hmm. However, whenever we went through the video, that specific spot where I had that storage shelving unit was in like a blackout zone. So you couldn't see that. But what you would be able to see is if someone pulled in with a vehicle to try to load it up. We didn't see anything. We went through the footage for that entire evening from the time the sun went down. I, we sat there and he went like fast forward through it until the sun came up. There was nothing. So I still don't know how to explain that one, but I think in, you know, in combination with what I was experiencing, cause I wasn't any more than 10 miles away mm -hmm. up in the woods at that time, mm -hmm. you know, at this point in life, I've stopped questioning the whys and just try to understand the house. <laughs> yeah. Before we get off the show, we were at uh, Camp Michaud back in the, when was that? Back in the, it's either late fall or early winter, I think. Or maybe it was this spring. Now I'm drawing a blank as to when it was. It might have been this spring. In any case, I, I was running, you know, the recorder and listening for weird sounds and stuff. And we got this chirping sound. This may not be a surprise to you when I, and I, I didn't know what it was. And I played it for my one buddy. He said, dude, that's a mountain lion, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So we caught yep. a mountain lion chirp like several times. It's not, I, I figured they were there, but that's like confirmation. Yeah, that's awesome, though. That's awesome. Well, I've, I've recently seen, they're still not outright admitting it, but I have seen the game commission. They're kind of being a little bit more open minded about it now. Mm hmm. I've and seen a few it's articles. It's hard to deny when so many people have actually seen them. You know, I saw one down in Maryland. If they're in Maryland, they're here. You know, there's no question. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I know what I saw when I saw it, but the fact that you got that on audio, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was really neat. Cause I was like, what kind of, what is that? What is that? And I think Chad said, I think it might be a mountain lion chirp. And I played it for another buddy of ours who's pretty knowledgeable with this stuff. And he's like, yeah, that's a mountain lion chirp. I was like, wow. Yep. Look at that. And that's a great spot for it, too. There's a lot of deer in there. There's a lot of water sources. There's a lot of really good places to hide. Mm -hmm. I would say for the most part, most people, you know, it's not a whole lot of people go there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So that would be a perfect spot. I mean, I found, um, you know, deer carcasses up in there, like, you know, skeletons and all that. And sometimes it might be natural causes, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like that is up in there. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be surprised at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, now I think Chad said he had seen one right around there. I think it was a couple years before. And okay. wasn't I forget Chad would have to tell the story. From my recollection, he was like ninety percent sure that's what he saw, but he wasn't hundred percent sure until we caught that chirp and then he's like, Yeah, oh yeah, that's it. That's what I saw. Yeah. No doubt. You that's know, awesome. They're out there. They're out there. Yeah. I'd like to hear that sometime. Yeah, y'all have to dig it out. I'll 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 yeah. play it for you. Yeah, that'd be great. So you've been uh, doing this work outside of Pennsylvania. Can you talk about what you do? Yeah, so I do bat conservation. I do a lot of different things, but the thing that gets me out of the state more so is doing field work. So do habitat surveys, also do like emergence surveys. But the stuff that really takes me out of the state is the trapping. And sometimes we'll work with you know state agencies. Sometimes we'll work with federal agencies. Depends on where we are, what we need to do. And you know, as I'm sure you can understand, I don't really want to give out the name of the company that course, I work for. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I've already discussed a lot of this sort of stuff with most of the people that I work with. So it's not like I'm necessarily trying to hide my belief in this stuff, but you know, at the same time, I want to give the company I work for a little bit of you know, anonymity. Sure. Yeah. So I, I get all over the place. I've had some stuff happen relatively recently. We were doing a job down at a mammoth cave park in Kentucky and uh, helping with you know, trying to figure out some of the different types of bat populations there. And uh, that is where I'd say I had the most recent thing. Yeah. Now, now this is, you texted me about this and I was, this was fairly recent because I was like, hey, can you come on the show? So did this happen like within the week or two? Yeah. Yeah. It happened last week, actually. Okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Fresh in my memory too. So basically what happened you know we were working and it was probably around 11 o'clock at night or so and you know typically in mammoth cave they have everyone out by a certain time and there's not really a whole lot of activity going on in there at night so you know we're helping people learn how to handle bats and how to take bats out of nets that sort of stuff and as i often like to do you know i've hit a point where i just kind of want to walk down past the net, so to say, and just walk out into the darkness some and just feel the forest. Mm -hmm. Well, I did that that night before anything ever happened, and I felt like the forest was watching me. It was that same kind of feeling. Like, okay, there's something around me. I feel eyes on me. And I knew all the people that I worked with were far enough away that it wasn't any of them because I didn't have my headlamp on. Whatever it was, you know, it was interested in us. I'll say it that way. Mm -hmm. And like I said, most of the times there aren't people in there like that at night. So I think that was definitely why this happened. So a little bit later, we're, we're taking down our equipment, you know, taking down net systems, all that sort of stuff. And I was just kind of minding my own business, helping people do the shortcuts, so to say, to wrap up nets and all that because it can be kind of tricky and so we're standing there and all of a sudden one of the people that was working with us and keep in mind these are like wildlife biologists and specialists in all these different fields of study people that i am oftentimes very leery to discuss this sort of stuff with yeah and all of a sudden i hear one of them just shout what is that thing 
and I turn just in time to see a big figure crouched down behind. It was about a three and a half, four foot high, like rotting stump. Like you could tell that at some point the vast majority of the tree broke off, but it was still a decent sized stump. So I saw it was just like a dark figure kind of boom right behind it real quick. So I assume that the other person that first called it out saw it more fully because, you know, with our headlamps and everything. But as we all shined our headlamps up onto that area, we began to see it peeking out over the top of the stump at us. And now this area there where we were working, there are deer there. They are used to the people that are going in and out of there. I noticed that earlier in the evening, but by that point, I didn't see any deer around anymore. There were enough of us that I think the deer had had enough of us and they were gone. But the main thing that told me, okay, this is not a deer, was the eyes were about the size of silver dollars. Mm. And it wasn't that far away. I mean, it might have been 35, 40 feet up the ridge above us a little bit. So 10, 15 yards at the most. And it had huge yellow eyes. And then I saw those drop down behind the stump. And then from the other side, it was a bright blue eye, like a side shot looking at us about the same size so it was almost like there were two of them back there hiding wow behind the stump yeah and so i'd say all in all about myself included four or five of us saw saw what was happening we were watching this whole thing and uh, i kind of laughed because the one girl she was like nah i don't mess around with that stuff and literally just started walking away from the net site she started walking up the hill back to our data processing area where we were taking the bats to to process them wow we turn them loose she, she yeah she's like no i don't mess with that stuff i'm out poof gone wow so she saw something and yeah we went back up after it was all said and done whatever it was it wasn't peeking out at us anymore so it wasn't like a deer had just went walking off we stood there it was almost like it stayed behind the stump and then just just disappeared it was gone wow and you know there was that part of me that did want to walk up and check it out but i'll be honest with you there was also that part of me that kind of felt like we were impeding on its territory as it was mm-hmm. I wasn't really comfortable with all the people that were standing around starting to freak out about what was happening. I didn't feel comfortable walking up into the woods and <laughs> dealing with that situation face to face. You know, you know me, Tim, I like to, I like to give them their space. I like to show them their respect. And when it's time to go, it's time to go. That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Looking at those eyes, would you say, you know, it's a subtle difference. Would you say, like, self-illuminating, that is, eye glow or eye shine, would you say they were reflecting? I would say it was reflecting. I didn't see any kind of glow. Mm-hmm. I even covered my headlamp at one point. It didn't seem like they were glowing independently of our lights. Okay, it was some kind I- of ambient light that was reflecting. Off yeah, of okay. yeah, so our headlamps were what we were getting that reflection from Mm -hmm. but you know going in and out of there into those areas as much as we had been i have been seeing deer with my headlamp on it did not reflect the same way not at all and like their eyes for the most part that i was encountering while i was there they were like a greenish color this one was like bright yellow Hmm. yeah and then bright blue yeah i can't say what it was because i only saw the eyes but they were huge. They looked like the size of fists. I mean, they were massive. Yeah. And it was eye shine. It was it definitely reflected off my flashlight. But like you're saying, they didn't reflect the same as like like a deer or a little you know rabbit or something you get eye shine off of. This was like yeah. they beamed out. As soon as this light hit yeah. it, it was like boom. So I don't know if yeah. there's just more area for it to reflect off of because they're bigger. I don't know how that works. That might be, but that does actually very well describe what i noticed as opposed to what it looked like with the deer because the deer it was just you know they were small eyes you could tell like even at a distance you could tell okay that's a deer Mm -hmm. and i mean there were times we were walking out from some of these places and there'd be 15 20 deer just hanging out by our vehicles like out in the the grass by our vehicles where we were parking and stuff for this 
But yeah, so then I kind of made sure that like everyone wasn't having some kind of anxiety attack or something because some people were starting to get a little weirded out by it. So I was like, all right, let's, you know, get this stuff up. Let's get it, you know, up to the top of the hill. And so we got everything broken down and I went back down just to make sure that we had all of our equipment. The stakes are like the biggest thing that people leave behind that hold the poles in place. So I always go back down, make sure that there's no net bags left, make sure there's no pole stakes left. And when I was down there, I could hear like wood knocking up on the ridge where initially before anyone saw anything where I was kind of feeling I was being watched from. Mm -hmm. I heard the wood knocking and then I heard being up from the top in that same area. So, you know, I just said my good nights. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for letting us do this. We're, we're all heading out. So I go back up. To where everyone has gathered at this point and we're all just kind of standing around and you know what's the game plan for tomorrow that sort of stuff and me and one of the other girls well myself and one of the other girls that was there so she is what i would call an intuitive you know some people have it some people don't mm -hmm. and she was one of those people just you know i i got the gut feeling like okay she's kind of like me in that regard. Mm -hmm. So we're just standing there as all these people are talking and, you know, Oh yeah. caught this bat, caught that bat, you know, identified this type that it just felt like something was telling me, like you said you were going to go, y'all need to go now. And I looked over at her and she was feeling it too. And she's like, it wants us gone. Doesn't it? I said, yeah, it does. I'm going to start going now. And so I just started walking forward back to my vehicle. Just like, Nope, I'm done. It wants us out we're going now time to go. So yeah, everyone started following us and that was the most recent thing that's happened to me. Did you have any more at that location? We did a few different things there. I can't say that we had any other kind of experience like that, but there have been other things in different areas that I've experienced, uh, like different jobs that we've done. If you want to hear about some of those. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. We were doing a lot of stuff on the western side of the state. We were, you know, that was a lot of habitat survey stuff that we were doing. So that was basically just walking through the woods, checking for bat caves, checking for holes, that sort of stuff, you know. And we did a lot of work there last fall as well. And it was a creepy place. I'll be honest with you. It was a pretty creepy place. You know, you start to get up into the Laurel Highlands and over towards the Chestnut Ridge area, and your mind just starts to kind of put the pieces together and like, okay, there's been a lot of reportings, you know, a lot of different sightings in this area for a long time now. So, you know, you kind of realize the chances are pretty good that there's going to be something around there somewhere. So, you know, a lot of this survey stuff, you would kind of be walking on your own. We would keep radio contact with each other, but for the most part, we were separating out sometimes as far as, you know, a quarter to a half mile away from each other as we're walking through these woods. There were times that I was, you know, a couple miles away from the guys I was working with doing my stuff that I needed to do. And again, you always feel like you're being watched. We would go in and out of these places at nighttime, sometimes carrying seven, you know, 65, 70 pounds of equipment. So we would put reflectors on the paths that we had to take to get to the spots that like we were trapping at or doing the survey stuff. Well, so in the springtime, we were doing this habitat survey and it was just before dusk and we were walking back to our vehicle because, you know, it was time to pack up, head back to the hotel for the night. And 
from a little bit further down the road where we had just walked up where, you know, again, earlier that evening as you know, that afternoon as I'm walking around kind of felt like something was following me kind of felt like I was being watched, you know, talk about the tracking and all that, like hearing it following you in the woods. Well, I was starting to have that. And so I caught up with the other two guys I was working with as we're walking up, we heard something roar and I'm not talking like a bear, like chuff. I'm talking something roar it lasted about six to seven seconds. It was just, it was deep. It was throaty echoed throughout the whole area that we were walking out of. And we all three just looked at each other and no one said a word, just, okay, let's keep moving. And it does put me in mind of some of the other reports that I've heard, like people being out and being roared at or like hearing the roars come from the ridgetops, that sort of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then we did some uh, stuff up around Lake Erie as well. And there was a couple different experiences that we, that I had up there. The way that our net system is set up, sometimes we'll get like flying squirrels mm-hmm. on the nets and they like, you know, they like to run the lines and sometimes they chomp on the lines that kind of separate the different levels of netting. So it's a real pain in the butt when a squirrel gets caught in a net. Cause as cute as flying squirrels are, they're not nice at all. They're <laughs> very mean when they're, when they're trapped, they don't like it one bit. Regular squirrels aren't aren't real nice either. They, they no, but yeah. but thankfully the regular squirrels are in their nests whenever we're doing this work. Oh, it's okay. the flying squirrels we got issues with because they you. just it's fun to them. Like they like to climb up the poles and run across, and like the the lines are basically just like real thick thread, like kind of put you in mind like nylon, mm-hmm. but not that thick because you know they have to be lightweight enough that we can carry them all and work with them and everything. But so we're sitting there one night and we hear the, uh, the rings that we attach the neck clips to, we hear ding, 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 ding like that. And uh, the guy I'm working with, he's like, Oh, I think we got a squirrel cotton in that. Let's go check it out. So we go, there's no squirrel on the net. There's nothing in the net. Like, Okay. Yeah, I was kind of new to it at this point. I was like, all right, you know, maybe it just kind of climbed up the outside of it. And that was it. We sit back down and about five minutes later, in the opposite side of the net, we hear like monkey hooting, like, like that sort of stuff, like, like a monkey. Mm-hmm. And the guy that I'm working with, he looks at me, he goes, what the heck was that? And I keep in mind, this guy's a wildlife biologist. <laughs> He's worked in a zoo. You know, uh, I was like, I don't know what it is. I knew what it was. I've heard that sort of stuff before, but you know, I just, I wasn't comfortable at that point telling him about it. And so part of that job, we had to go to uh, an adjoining property, you know, that was relatively close to there. And a couple nights later, that monkey noise again, heard it again. And it was with another person. She was like, that sounded like a monkey to me. I said, yeah, it really did, didn't it? <laughs> and yeah, I tell you, man. And you know, besides the Bigfoot, you know, Sasquatch stuff, like there's a lot of UFO stuff in the in those areas too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's the report from from out western Pennsylvania. They go hand in hand. Bigfoot. Yeah. UFOs out there. Yeah. 
You see it? And yeah. Okay. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, because, you know, you're out there at night and there was a few spots where we were basically netting on like an access road and it was just fields on either side of us, which that was, that was pretty nice, but it gave you a nice clear view of the sky. So you could just look up and yeah, saw a couple things that were moving real fast just to be, you know, a plane and not fast enough to be a shooting star <laughs> or like the one kind of was going at one angle and just seemed to stop. And then all of a sudden it just poof, took off and it was gone. Yeah. And yeah. And there was another person standing there watching it with me because we saw it kind of come in like a shooting star, but it stopped. Wow. And it poof, took off. And I looked at this person. I said, you saw that, right? And they said, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> it's like, okay. Just so I know I'm not the only one. Wow. Yeah. And then we did another job. Well, it was trapping in the springtime and this might have been satellites but there were five of them in a row that were moving at the same pace you know someone said it was uh elon musk's things oh, uh, his it's going up there but I, I don't know they were moving kind of fast and like i don't know i couldn't say a hundred percent certain what it was but it's a really interesting opportunity to get out into the mountains you know there's tough where you know i'll be sitting in my camp chair and so we do like depending on the time of year we'll do regular checks of our nets and you know our traps and stuff and like the whole purpose of what we're doing we take measurements of the bats we weigh them out kind of get a feel for how healthy they look you know with white nose syndrome and everything i was going to ask if that's still an issue is just because of how much damage it did to the populations some of the data that's coming out is now showing that some of these species are starting to kind of rebound. I mean, you look at like little browns and some of the other ones. I mean, there were ones that lost up to 91% of their entire population. So, I mean, yeah, so they were decimated. But there's a lot of really, really intelligent, hardworking people that are really putting a lot of effort into it. And I think we are coming up with some solutions and there's a lot of outside the box thinking going on with this right now and what i'm kind of coming to the conclusion of based upon what a lot of things are showing is at the end of the day the european bats tend to deal with the white nose syndrome where it originally came from in part because of the ideal habitat for them to hibernate in like keeping a constant temperature Mm -hmm. the stuff that we've done to our caves in america like you think uh you know some of these commercial caves where they take tours down in that historically might have been housing you know in some cases a million bats in one cave well when they open them up it changes the airflow in them and changes the temperature in there so it's not getting cool enough to really allow them to go into a deep hibernation so the white nose is kind of making it a bit more difficult for them to get through the winter without you know being disrupted and becoming dehydrated or you know starving Mm -hmm. so i think Pennsylvania is really on the forefront with that, like 
figuring out what the ideal conditions are and actually building artificial caves for them and they're having success with it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so we are seeing an increase in some of the populations of different types of bats. Now, of course, they just put some of them on the endangered species list, but thankfully we were already working with those bats and getting a lot of information about them. So that's part of what we do as well. Like figuring out where they're going in the winter to hibernate. And then in the spring, when they come out of their hibernaculum, figuring out where they're going to. And I was doing a telemetry thing where I was just driving around, you know, these little towns and all that close to these caves with this big radio antenna on my vehicle and pointing what looks like a radio antenna crossbow at people's homes and stuff. And people were coming out like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we tagged some bats and apparently likes your attic. So it's not going to hurt you, but if you see us driving around pointing these weird things at you, that's what it's all about. I had, uh, when it is one town, I had a bunch of like kids on motorbikes and four wheelers, like zooming around me. And, you know, everyone in the town was like, well, what's he doing? Who is that guy? I had one, and one kid asked me if I was the Google picture machine uh-huh. vehicle. No, I'm here looking for bats. <laughs> And uh, I did have one girl, she came up and she said, uh, you're tracking bats, aren't you? And she must've been like 10. I said, yes, I am. How'd you know? She said, well, I, was, I saw you guys drive through here a couple of days ago. So I looked it up on YouTube and yeah, all right. Cool. And smart girl. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, what I'm really enjoying now is seeing the younger kids. Like when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid too, what was it? A bat's gonna get in your hair and it's gonna give you rabies, right? Mm-hmm seeing that's not the case with younger kids so much anymore like there is this opening up now where they do see them as beneficial they do see them as an important part of the ecosystem and they don't see them as gross scary ugly things anymore like my daughter loves bats loves them so it makes me really proud when she goes to school and people say, what's your dad do? And he tries to save bats, oh, you know, nice. yeah, so that's nice. makes me really proud. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good work. It's important work too. Thank you. Know, yeah. Thanks to the whole team you got going, doing that. Thank you for me. Yeah. We got some good people working with us and you know, it's, it's my hope, even if people my age, if we don't, figure it out i'm hoping that we can at least inspire the younger kids enough that they can take the baton and keep it going and hopefully solve a lot of the problems that ultimately we created right yeah <laughs> yeah so to take a step back when you guys heard that roar was yeah were any of the biologists with you when you heard the roar yes did they have I, i'm assuming they had no clue what it was Nope, they didn't say a word. The one guy in particular, he is very knowledgeable. And typically, if we hear birds, if we hear different types of animals, he will tell me what it is. Or, like, you know, we'll kind of commiserate on what we think it is. You know, same with tracks, same with scat. He's a really smart guy. He's really knowledgeable. And I looked to him to see if he was going to say anything. And I could see he was kind of going over it in his mind and trying to figure it out. And then I just saw his eyes go forward and we kept on walking. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't say a word about it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to pretend I'm Wes now and ask you the Sasquatch Chronicles question. What do you think Bigfoot is? No wrong answers. 
you know, to be honest with you lately, I've been floating around the thing in my head that the more I learn, the less I know, mm-hmm. whatever they are, I think they're more ancient than us. I think in some way or another, we come from them. Like almost like they're our grandfathers. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're like grandfathers to us, but they have abilities that we don't, mm-hmm. or at least we have stopped using. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a better way of saying that. I think they're people, but I also think that they're more than people mm-hmm. and they're more than animals. They're an enigma. Oh yeah. Certainly that. Certainly that. Yeah. I can't really a hundred percent ascribe to the flesh and blood thing anymore though. Yeah. Like especially after my experience seeing it run in front of my neighbor's house, like there was that point prior to that where I knew weird stuff happened and you know, I didn't have explanations for it, but I'd never really had something like that happen before. And when that happened, it was just, it was like getting hit in the brain with a sledgehammer. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking about this with Chad last night. I said, you know, the thing is like, cause we were talking about how like, Hey, if they're animals, they could do this, this and this, and they could hide here. And, and uh, we were night hiking on a rail trail. And he's like, wouldn't this be perfect? Cause nobody's out here at night. It'd be easy. You know, you're not going to expend a lot of calories, the easy transportation and walk down this trail and you wouldn't be seen or anything. And I said, yeah, I said, they do act like an animal. except when they don't, <laughs> Yeah. And that's as bizarre as, you know, it's such a non-answer, but it's, it's true. There are times yeah. that they act like an animal, except sometimes they really don't, you know? Well, I think sometimes like we want so badly for it to be just a normal animal that we can put in a zoo and cage up. But I kind of ran into that to a degree with um, like one of the park people that, you know, was kind of keeping an eye on us. And the guy had been working there for a long time. He was a really awesome guy. Like I got to know him on a personal level, you know, cause as we were standing around after we got stuff set up and waiting for, you know, the netting and the trapping to start happening, stand around and you talk with people. So I got to know this guy a bit, but then after that experience where we saw what we saw hiding behind that stump, you know, I wouldn't say I was, pegging him for information but i asked him i said how many bear reports do you get in this park he goes well we had a report a couple years ago of a mama bear and a couple cubs come through but he said we occasionally get scat and figure out it's bear he said most of them are probably just ones that are passing through looking for greener pastures he said for the most part we don't really have bears here i said okay so my next question, there was a report a couple of years ago about a guy that was firing off his gun down at Mammoth Cave. I don't know if you've ever seen that report. I think so. I think Yeah, this was not too long ago, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was a couple of years ago. So I asked him about that. Basically, his position was we were familiar with the guy before that, and he made some people uncomfortable before. And you know, essentially, at the end of the day, and this is where I had to agree with the fellow I was talking with. No matter what's happening, even if it is Bigfoot, you don't fire your gun off. 
right. in a camping area. He was shooting through people's tents. He could have hurt someone. Yeah. But the general consensus is the guy kind of out there. Mm-hmm. So then I asked this gentleman after that, because I, I really want to know what his opinion was on that particular case. But then I asked him, have you ever had anything weird? Like, there are any weird things in these woods? He goes, well, there are some weird things that happen here from time to time. And so I told him at that point what we saw. And he goes, well, now that you mentioned that, I was doing a cave check one night and like he was going through the park, making sure everything was closed and everyone was out and that no one was going to get locked in a cave overnight. Mm -hmm. He told me that off in the woods behind him a little bit, knowing full well he was there alone because he had locked the cave up and he was getting ready to head back to his vehicle. He heard, and I mean, this dude, he was a pretty big guy and I could tell he's not the type that's easily intimidated by other people. Mm-hmm. And he told me he got the heebie-jeebies and he got out of there as fast as he could. And again, that's another thing that leads me to these things aren't just pure flesh and blood because the feelings that they give people, the feelings that they've given you before, I feel like I have like even understanding with them. Like I can be in their areas and be okay. Cause I've told people before, I might have mentioned this to you. My the church, you know, my church is the woods. That's where I go, and that's where I feel connected to whatever it is that binds us all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's my church. And my opinion on that is, they sense that in me, and they know that like I'm not out there to cause problems. I'm not out there, honestly. This is the thing about it. I I took my digital recorder down there to Kentucky with me because I intended, like, if something starts happening in the night, I'm going to hit record. Well, the night before, we got a lot of rain, and I had to empty my bag out, and my digital recorder was sitting in my hotel room Mm -hmm. when it happened. So it's almost like they know those moments. Yeah. Like, you know, I had my, my phone in a Ziploc in my bag because the night before when we got the rain... I almost had my phone ruined. So if you don't have it with you, you just don't have it with you. And it's almost like they pick up on those moments Mm -hmm. where they seem to know. They seem to know more than an animal should. Agreed. Yeah, very much. So I can't say they're just an animal. And I mean, well, it's like back in medieval times, they were wise men. The wild men were wise men. You'd go to them for, you know, advice or help you know they're like like old wizards of the woods you know yeah and i think over time we've lost that relationship and and whether Mm. that was a an actual thing that people did or whether that was just sort of a metaphor for these being wise beings out there i don't know but either way we've lost that relationship with those things yeah well i've heard stories like with the first peoples you know the first nation peoples where yeah, they would commune with them. They they talk to them. They would come sit down at the campfires with them. They would trade with them, and they considered them to just be another tribe of people that were just a little different looking. Mm-hmm. So that's that's. I think that's my take on it. I think they're just different tribe of people, and I think 
they're waiting for us to achieve their level, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think that's my opinion on the matter. I got one more question for you. This is yep. the fun question I've been trying to ask everybody. Okay. On the morning of April 18th, 1961, Joe Simonson saw a silver disc on his farm. He went out, investigated, and stepped aboard the craft. There he encountered three dark-skinned humanoids who handed him an empty jug. Joe filled it with water and brought it back to the craft. In return, they gave him pancakes. Would you eat the pancakes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. Oh, wow. That's So far, you're in the minority. A lot of people in the Strange Movies oh, really? Discord said they would, but I think you're the first guest I've asked so far that said, heck yeah, I'd eat them. I would feel like they'd take that as an affront. Like you don't go to a foreign country and turn down their food that they're offering you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And if they want you to eat it, if it could kill you, well, they could probably kill you without even giving that to you anyway. True so enough. true enough. Yeah. 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 I'd be more afraid of them killing me if I didn't eat it. <laughs> That's based on a real case. I don't know if you know that or not. And I believe he did. He at least tasted them. He kept, I think they gave him a number of them. He kept like two or three of them. And I think he at least ate one and he said it, okay. it, it tasted like they didn't use sugar. <laughs> so yeah, it's real bland tasting. He said. That's cool. No. Yeah. I try. I try. All right. All right. <laughs> Ken, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Hey, let's catch a hike soon. Let's, once, okay, yeah, I'd love that. Yeah, once, I'd love that. Yeah, once the weather cools, because there's some places I want to take you and just get your impression of. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd All like that. All right, we'll stay in touch, and when the weather cools, we'll set it up. All right, thanks a lot, brother. I appreciate it. All right, you have a great night. Hey, you too. I like getting updates, kind of checking back in with guests we've had in the past. I always enjoy that. They don't disappear. You know, these people, if they've had a series of strange things. It doesn't usually stop just because you tell somebody on the radio. Yeah, yeah. It tends to continue. And I like checking back in with folks and getting updates and stuff. That was a nice conversation. All right, we have a really interesting curiosity of the week, and it goes with a story. Yeah, I, I want to say that we did a story about this, but you said we didn't, so maybe we never did. (laughs) I cannot remember anymore. We could have done a story about this. But if we did, it's long enough ago where I... If we don't remember, maybe no one else remembers. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So we can do an update anyway. That's the good thing about getting older, like books you read before are new again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a memorial photo of a type, yes? Yeah, I would say so. It looks like it's a copy of... uh, like a framed picture that has um, multiple cabinet cards in it, like a composite Yeah, that was made as a souvenir. And it pictures some of the dead from the 1889 cyclone or tornado that happened in Reading, Pennsylvania. I mean, it's been a very tornado-heavy year. We've had our own little, we didn't personally, but a few miles down the road, there was a little tornado. Yeah. There have been tornadoes in Ohio, like in areas where people don't normally get tornadoes. Well, let's read this article that has to do with this photo. Hey, this is from The Sentinel in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, Thursday, January 10th, 1889. Did this happen in January? I think it did, because that's when all the articles are from. 
A cyclone in January. That's when all the articles are from. Okay. Yeah. Just seems odd. The storm in the state. Buildings wrecked as if made of paper. 100 lives lost and many persons injured. Terrible loss of life in Pittsburgh and in Reading. Okay, so they're including, I guess, two that blew mm-hmm. through at the same time. The storm which raged here yesterday was more than we supposed. The tornado swept over the whole state, causing the loss of many lives and inflicting incalculable damage to the property. Pittsburgh and Reading suffered the most. In the former city, a four-story building on Diamond Street near Wood in the course of erection was blown down and the walls falling upon other buildings. Eight or ten persons were killed and 40 or 45 injured. In Reading, the cyclone blew down the Reading Silk Mill and the Philadelphia and Reading Railroad paint shops, which also caught on fire from an explosion of gasoline. It is thought that at least 60 people were killed in Reading and 100 injured. The storm possessed every feature of a tornado. The signal service officer said the storm came from the southwest. It's made its first appearance in Texas on Monday, reaching Arkansas on Tuesday, and struck Chicago at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. The storm then swerved in a direct line for Pittsburgh, which, however, escaped the greatest severity as the track of its force lay northwest of the city. In Reading, this has been the saddest night in the history of the city. A death like Paul hangs over the city, and a hundred households are in mourning as the result of one of the greatest calamities that has ever visited Pennsylvania. A cyclone swept over the northern section of the city about 6 o'clock this evening, laying waste everything within its reach and causing a terrible loss of life. The lives have been sacrificed, and the number that have been injured can only be estimated. The most reliable computation at a late hour tonight is that not fewer than 60 persons have been killed outright and 100 injured. Persons residing along the track of the storm say that they saw the first signs of the danger in a funnel-shaped maelstrom, which seemed to gather up everything within its reach and cast it right and left. Out in the country, houses and barns unroofed, farm outbuildings overturned, crops rooted up, and destruction spread in every direction. Meanwhile, the rain poured down in torrents. The atmosphere became heavy and oppressive, and it was almost as dark as night. Directly along the tracks of the Reading Railroad was situated the paint shop of the Reading Railroad Company. It was a one-story building about 60 by 150 feet. Here, about 30 men were employed in painting passenger cars. There were eight or nine of these in the building. They had been built at the company's shops in the city at the cost of $6,000 each. The building was struck square in the middle and the bricks scattered out as if they were playthings. The cars were turned topsy-turvy while the men were buried under the debris. Some of the old bricks were carried a square away. The chamber of each of the passenger cars was already filled with gas as they were ready to be taken out on the road in a few days, and these exploded one after another with the fearful bang of a cannon, causing the people to run out of their houses, thinking that it was the sound of an earthquake. There was a considerable quantity of gasoline in the building, and this added fuel to the fire. A sheath of flame shot heavenward with a roar of musketry. Some twenty of the men had a chance to crawl out of the debris, but four of their companions were enveloped in the embrace of the flames. Their cries were heard for a moment by the terrified workmen, and then their voices were hushed forever. They were quickly roasted to death, and the fire from the nine passenger cars lit up the heavens for miles around. It was a beautiful sight, and could have been enjoyed but for the awful calamity which brought it about. In the meantime, the fire department has been called out, but its services were unavailing. The building and cars were consumed in 15 minutes and nothing left but the blackened, smoking ruins under which lay four human beings burnt to a crisp. Directly in its path at the corner of 12th and Marion Streets stood the Reading Silk Mill, one of the industries in the city in which the citizens took the greatest pride. 
Here, about 175 happy girls were working. The building was a huge structure, most substantially built, four stories in height and had a basement besides. It occupied an entire block of ground. The building itself was nearly 300 feet in length and 100 feet wide and surmounted by a massive tower, fully 100 feet from the ground. The tunnel-shaped storm cloud struck the building directly in the center on its broadcast side, which faced the west. It fell to pieces as if composed of so many building blocks. Nearly 200 beings went down in the awful wreck. Human tongue can never tell the terrible scenes of that hour. The walls gave way. The floors fell down one on top of the other and carried this great mass of human beings to the bottom. The bricks were piled up in the greatest confusion. While amid the hurricane and whistling, rushing, roaring wind, terrible cries for succor were sent up to heaven. It was a moment that tried men's souls. Almost simultaneous with the tall of the building came the awful cries for relief. Girls with blackened faces, bruised and broken limbs, their clothing tattered and torn, dragged themselves from the ruins. So probably 75 to 100 escaped through their own frantic efforts or were dragged out by friends. These, of course, worked on the upper floors and were thrown near the top of the debris. At some places, the bricks were piled 20 feet deep and underneath them are lying tonight human bodies by the score. 250 girls and young women are usually employed in the mill. But at 4 o'clock, about 80 were relieved from duty for the day. They returned to their home before the storm came. The alarm for relief was immediately sent out, and in a short time, thousands of citizens arrived to help. The scene was harrowing. The mill is situated near the foot of Mount Penn, a high mountain overlooking the city, and when the people arrived, everything was enveloped in darkness. Then huge bonfires were built, which cast a dismal glare on the surrounding scene, and the fire companies left the burning paint shop and assisted in the rescue of the dead and dying. The entire police force was called out. The ambulance and relief corps and a thousand people were in among the debris, carrying out bricks, pulling away timbers, and assisting wherever they could, all the same, but their work was slow compared with the demand for the rescue of the victims of the disaster. Up until a late hour tonight, probably the bodies of a dozen dead have been taken out, while the greater portion of the remainder were still under ruins. The work of rescue will be pushed all night, but it may be far into tomorrow before all the bodies shall have been taken out. The rescuers still have the greatest hope that some of these inside are living, and there is every reason for saying that in this, the persons who believe that are right. All is chaos and confusion around the mill. The managers are missing, and the correct number of dead is mere guess. It may not be over 40, and then again at this hour there is likelihood that it will reach 60 or 80. At all events, the disaster is a terrible one and the worst in the history of the city. So this is a cabinet card. That was, would we say, 1889? January of 1889? Yeah. So this could have been contemporary, right, with it? Yeah, I think what happened was they, they did a couple memorial pictures, and then those somebody took a picture of those to yeah, hand out like as Yeah, this was like a memorial display or something. Yeah, and, and somebody took a picture of the display. We believe this is the silk mill, right? Yeah, it, yeah. It seems, from their description, it seems like. Especially it. since so many of the, the are, are women. small, yeah, like yeah. small photos of people are younger women. Yeah, and this is a this is a cabinet card photograph from the New York Gallery, but it's in Reading, Pennsylvania. It's just called the New York Gallery, four eleven Sixth Street, Reading, Pennsylvania. Actually, it says entered according to the Act of Congress in the year eighteen eighty nine. Yeah, there's so. a slight copyright that you can see on the front of the picture. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Copyright was still kind of a dicey. Yeah, <laughs> and if you took a picture of another picture, a lot of people thought that that didn't actually. So this this is certainly the photo that goes with that article, tragic as it is, but it's a really neat document of history. Especially if you live near the Reading area. Yeah. 
So that'll be our curiosity of the week, the photo. I'll put an image of that in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. You can look at it there. But if you click on it, it takes you over to our Etsy shop where you can purchase that and other curiosities of the week, those that are left. I have to say, this is my favorite one we've done in a while. I really like this one. It's cool. I like that it goes with the story. You know, I like. Yeah, I'm trying to really kind of wean down my collection to just the things that I feel like mean the absolute most to me. Mm -hmm. And so some great stuff is going to (laughs) be parsed out to the new caretakers. We have some um, strange familiars related ephemera, too, that that we've kind of hung on to that are related to different strange familiar stories that that might turn up here. Yeah. I mean, as long as I, I I feel like I'm able to let a few more things go Mm -hmm. and maybe that's just because of the volume of what's coming in. But (laughs) (laughs) Also at our Etsy shop, if you don't want to get the curiosities of the week, you can get strange familiars, t-shirts and stickers and patches, copies of my books. All of them are in stock now, even though I just did a, Big order of more for Albatwitch Day. The Strange Familiar's bandanas are sold out, so thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody, who bought one of those. But we have uh, artwork there, originals and prints. Some of my music is there and much more. In the Flower Paths section, you can get paracord rosaries that are made by me, handmade pocket rosaries and full-sized. Again, our shop name is Lost Grave. If you type in Strange Familiars, you should see our stuff come up, though. Thank you for your support. Shopping at our Etsy shop also helps support the show, so thank you everyone who does that. All right. That'll be it for this episode. We'll be back soon with more Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Howler Arts, Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. If you want to hear more or purchase music, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Strange Familiars. You can also find the Strange Familiars gathering group there. We're on Instagram, at Strange Familiars. One word. And you can find us on the web at strangefamiliars.com.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.